0: Well, the bowl games have been announced, uh, so that means college football season is winding down. College basketball season, of course, is just ramping up, and the Big 12 is looking like it is going to be the best basketball conference in America. I'm Pete Mundo on Heartland College Sports. We now say hello to our lead basketball writer at Heartland College Sports, Matthew Postens. You can read his stuff every day. You can find him on our free Heartland College Sports message boards, which I highly recommend every Big 12 fan uh, sign up for. It's free when you go to the website and you click on the Members Forum tab at the top. Well, Matthew, uh, we can do big picture, but let's just get right to what has been a dramatic uh, couple of days in Manhattan, Kansas. Naquan Tomlin, a guy who was supposed to be one of the best players in the Big 12 this season, a potential NFL or NBA draft pick as well. He's no longer with the program. What is going on? Because there's a lot of rumors, there's a lot of speculation, but we know he's not with the program anymore. So what do we know right now?
1: Yeah, I don't think we know much. I mean, we know that he was involved in an altercation at a bar in Aggieville in October that led to his arrest for disorderly conduct. Uh, We know that he agreed to some sort of aversion uh, that allowed the case to be adjudicated and dismissed. All signs pointed toward him being uh, reinstated to the basketball program at some point, uh, perhaps even this week. And then all of a sudden, everything just changed on Wednesday night in uh, Manhattan, and they, they didn't... The language they used in the release was not – they didn't dismiss him from the program. They said he could no longer continue with the basketball program, and I thought the language was very unique. I've seen a lot of those press releases over the years when a a player gets uh, dismissed from the program, and they usually use the word dismissed. In this case, they did not use that word, which leads me to believe that there's a lot more to this than just him doing something wrong off the court. And, uh, you know, a lot of the rumor right now is that there's a power struggle between – the athletic director, the head coach, and the university president—I don't know how much of that is true—but uh, I know a lot of Kansas State fans are very unhappy with the university president there, Richard Clinton, and you know just leaves a hole in their rotation certainly uh, moving forward from a basketball standpoint.
0: Yeah, it does, and certainly seems like I agree. The the common thread appears to be disconnect between Jerome Tang and uh, the president, and that's something that's definitely worth watching. And, of course, you look at this week. I mean, they lose Colin Klein, their offensive coordinator in football, uh, to Texas A&M. So there's a lot of drama right now in, uh, in Manhattan, and we're watching it closely. Now, let's stick with K-State for a second here. They beat Villanova this week. They get a good win in overtime. But a lot of people are talking about K-State taking a big step back this year, uh, especially without Naquan Tomlin. What do you think this team's prospects are based on what you've seen so far this season?
1: Well, I think Jerome Tang's still kind of working things out. Uh, They still don't have Quest Glover. They hope to have him back by the end of December. Uh, They've got three players that are averaging 16 points a game. Uh, Kaluma has really come along for them to transfer out of Crichton. Uh, Tyler Perry has had a couple of big baskets lately. He was the guy they were expecting to get a lot of offense from. And, uh, you know, I uh, I, I, I think when they get Glover back, I think we'll have a really good feel for this team. I still feel like they're a top Five team in the conference just with the talent they have now you're you're kind of gauging you know how quickly can uh jerome and his coaching staff get that talent to get on the same page when they get into conference play because we're we're right at a month out now from conference play and this is when you expect teams to start coalescing and start gelling uh even without tomlin even without glover they've won five straight going into the weekend so uh, i think they're starting to get it together what their ceiling is i'm not entirely sure yet
0: so when you look now at the Big 12 then Matthew Posten's the top of this league it is Kansas it is Houston it is Baylor I mean what what do you look at as that top tier and where does that top tier drop off after
1: Well I think you just recited the top tier as far as I'm concerned those three teams I think I think BYU is a part of that just from the function of, the, of them being undefeated right now But those three teams to me, Houston, Baylor, Kansas, I think those are the three teams that are going to be duking it out for the uh, regular season conference championship with, you know, potentially Texas, BYU, you know, potentially Kansas state uh, kind of crashing the party. I think Iowa state could even be a dark horse in that regard, just because they've really boosted their offense this year, the transfer portal. They really went out and concentrated on getting three point shooting and, uh, you know, you know, you know, Uh, boosting their offensive output and I think uh I I think from that standpoint I think that makes them a dark horse to be a a real contender in the conference as well it's really deep at the top just in terms of the talent in terms of the way uh that talent has quickly come together and and certainly Houston and BYU make it a, a very interesting top six or seven teams in the conference
0: yeah absolutely now what has been the biggest surprise thus far to you Matthew
1: well, I think one of them is BYU. Oh, yeah. I was expecting them to be pretty good this year. But for them to be undefeated, to beat San Diego State the first week of the season, uh, to, to be number two in the NCAA net ratings when they debuted on Monday, that was pretty, that was pretty surprising to me. And Houston being number one uh, wasn't a huge surprise. But BYU to me is kind of the first surprise. And then, um, you know, if you're looking a, a little further down the standings, I think um, – A surprise from a disappointment standpoint is Oklahoma State and the way they played the first month. I was expecting them to be a better team. I know that they had a lot of young talent. They had a really good recruiting class that they're having to lean on. Uh, But you know, they go on the road and lose to Southern Illinois. They've lost to every Power Six team they've played to this point. Uh, I think we're to the point where I think you have to start worrying about Mike Boynton's job uh, there in Stillwater because you know he's had enough time, I think, to build the program the way he wants to build it. There's no more NCAA issues. There's no more postseason ban. Uh, they've been able to recruit good players there. Uh, I just, I don't know why that team hasn't come together the way that they were hoping at this point.
0: You know, I saw some stuff about that this week, and, and what I was reading is basically everyone in Stillwater really wants Mike Boynton to work, so he might get mm-hmm. a little longer than the average person in that spot. He's well-liked. He gets along with people. But you're right. It's that fine line um, between you know, sitting there and saying, well, if it's not going to work, it's not going to work. But here's what it also is to me. Oklahoma State has basically given up being a basketball school. I think that's the takeaway here. I mean, they never fill up Gallagher-Iba. Mike Gundy's got that thing in a in a place where it's all about football now. It's not like it was under Eddie Sutton where it really was a basketball school. Now it's a football school. Mm-hmm. So that may buy Mike Boynton more time than he would have gotten just a few years ago. What do you think about that?
1: That's an interesting thought. I mean, they've always been associated with high-level basketball, and not that they can't be. I mean, they went to the Final Four uh, as recently as, you know, 15 years ago under Eddie Sutton. Um, but, yeah, I mean, if if, if the perception internally is that they're more of a football school now with Mike Gundy as the head coach and uh, that, that being where their attention goes, then, yeah, I think that could buy Mike Boynton a bit more time. And you know, to your point about, you know, how people feel about Mike Boynton, I mean, he was an assistant coach at SFA. That's where I went to school you're not going to find a person in Nacogdoches that has a bad thing to say about Mike Moyne. And that's the same way in Stillwater. And that likability combined with the fact that maybe they're putting more of an emphasis on football than basketball, might buy him another year.
0: Yeah. We'll have to see uh, how that plays out. BYU, I mean, you know, it's a basketball program that, let's be honest, most Big 12 fans have not spent a lot of time uh, watching at all, if ever. Uh, we don't think about BYU and basketball as kind of being hand-in-hand. Hand. So, is this just a year where everything's clicking, or have they kind of worked on builded, building this thing up?
1: Yeah, I, I think they've really worked on building this thing up. A couple of years ago, they were a top 25 team for a good portion of that season, and they took a step back because uh, they lost some guys to the portal. They lost some guys to just graduation and eligibility, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, This year, you know, all the guys that kind of took a step back last year have taken a step forward. Uh, they've got a, a couple of key guys through the transfer portal that I think have really helped them from an offensive standpoint. And they've done all of this to this point, I believe, without Marcus Adams, the Ballyhood uh, recruit who started at Kansas in the summer, then transferred to Gonzaga, then transferred to BYU. Uh, he still hasn't gotten his waiver yet, and he could really be a boost to them from an offensive standpoint. But I think, I think all of this being successful for them early is really about the fact that they took their step back last year because of all the players they lost and because of the continuity from last year to this year, I think they're playing so much better on both sides of the court, and that has really kind of put them in a position where I think they can be a really pesky team once they get into Big 12 play.
0: Yeah. Now you look at uh, Kansas at the top. Hunter Dickinson has been outstanding. Uh, He's probably the early frontrunner for Big 12 Player of the Year. They've got only the one loss to Marquette early in the season. You know, there's a lot of new pieces there, but uh, Bill Self just keeps making it work. How's he doing it?
1: Well, I mean, Dickinson obviously gives them something they didn't have last year, which is the height inside to protect the rim and rebound. But uh, the offensive development of Kevin McCullough early in this season, I think, is one of the biggest underlying storylines to their success. This is a guy who's been through the NBA process three times now, and nobody questions his ability to rebound, to defend, or all the intangible parts of his game. But the question has been, can he be a high enough level scorer to be in an NBA draft pick. Through the first month of the season, he's really proven himself uh, to be that kind of a player. He's improved as a three-point shooter. He's improved in his ability to go to the basket to finish. Um, he's he's really developed his mid-range game over the past couple of years. You know, I think the whole reason he transferred to Kansas in the first place from Texas Tech was because he wanted to develop himself as a scorer. That was the feedback he was getting from the NBA. And you know I think now we've seen it now over a, a full year in Bill Self's system with his coaching staff, the way they coach offensive players, you're really starting to see that come to fruition. So now you have three legitimate offensive options on the floor at most of the time in Dickinson, McCuller, and, and uh, Harris. Uh, you've got some really good depth coming off the bench. I think Marco Jackson is going to be a really good piece for them once they get into Big 12 play. This might be the deepest, most talented team Self has had in a few years just from the standpoint of he can go eight, nine, ten players deep and not lose a whole lot. You know, once once he gets into conference play, he kind of shrinks that rotation to eight players. But if he gets an injury or if he has a guy that's, you know, kind of in a slump, he's got two or three guys he can go to that can give him something this time around.
0: Yeah, um, that is a great point. Matthew Postons is joining us on heartlandcollegesports.com. It's always good to have him on the show. So, Matthew, when you look at uh, – let's look at the top tier then. Houston, Baylor, I mean, who is it? and why when you look at uh, trying to stack that top tier in this league?
1: Well, you look at Baylor, and the thing is, they didn't have a lot coming back, so I really wasn't sure how they were going to deploy their freshmen. But between Jacoby Walter and and Eves Missy, uh, they've got Walter, a guy out on the the perimeter that can drive to the basket, shoot the three, defend, Uh, really is kind of a true wing player in that sense that uh, he can kind of go both sides of the floor. And then Missy, you know, he, he, he moved up his recruiting a year. He reclassified to this class. So I really wasn't sure, you know, how he was going to fit in the rotation, even though he was a seven-footer. And, and right away he became a, uh, a great remounter for them, you know, defensive enforcer inside, protects the rim. He's proven to be a better scorer than I was expecting him to be this early in his development to the point where he's now a starter. So now you've got, you've got height. You can stretch teams out on the perimeter. You've still got Jalen Bridges. Uh, who can give you some offense on that side of the floor. Uh, I just really like the construction of their team. Houston, they're all built around their guards. Damian Dunn, L.J. Cryer, who was at Baylor, um, they can run with any team in this conference from a guard standpoint. The the thing that I question a little bit is, you know, the experience they have in the front court and whether that experience uh, in the front court is going to be, you know, successful on a a game-to-game basis in the Big 12. They lost some really good front court players to the NBA last year, that's going to be the area where they have to improve. But in terms of three-point shooting, in terms of being able to to push things on the floor offensively, in terms of being able to match up with the other teams in this conference from a guard standpoint, they've got everything they need. And that's going to that's going to really help them because a lot of teams in this conference play four guards or three guards and a swing guard in their starting lineup, and that allows them to match up very well.
0: Are you buying Oklahoma, Matthew? They're in the top twenty, but you know, and as been the toughest schedule to date. What about that surprise?
1: Yeah, I, I don't know yet. I'm not, I'm not totally sold on that. Going into the season, I was like, I really don't know what this team's going to do. So, I mean, seeing them in the top 20, that's great news for them. Uh, it's great news for Porter Moser because now, you know, it helps them a little bit in the recruiting standpoint, you know, getting ready to move to the SEC next year. But, you know, more importantly, this team has come together, I think, much faster than I was anticipated. They had so many new pieces. And part of his problem has been he hasn't been able to retain talent the last two years. Uh, but he was able to retain O.A. He was able to retain Uzon. It was, you know, two of the big pieces from their freshman class last year. And he's been able to supplement that with a lot of transfers that I think fit in well with how he wants to play basketball. So, you know, I, I think them going into Big 12 play, if they've got 10 or 11 wins, I think that's obviously going to help them from an NCAA tournament selection standpoint. But uh, I, I look at their schedule, like you said, I'm not – I'm not buying just yet because I don't think they have played enough high level teams to lead me to believe that they can handle that Big 12 rigor from game to game just yet.
0: Outside of uh, BYU, of course, they're at the top of the standings right now. We'll see what comes in league play. Of the four new teams, um, you know, when you look at uh, UCF, when you look at Cincinnati, when you look at Mm -hmm. Houston, we know that Houston's going to be there. Uh, BYU's been a surprise. The Cincinnati UCF duo, uh, what are the expectations for them?
1: I think Cincinnati is a good fit. I, I think they're going to be kind of in that maybe middle to, you know, kind of the upper part of the middle tier of the conference, uh, especially if they can find a way to get Jamil Reynolds as a waiver. Uh, he's the one guy still kind of sitting on the sideline they haven't gotten a waiver for yet. Uh, but they, they got their seven-footer back through the, the transfer waiver process. That gives them the height and the – the muscle they need to decide to compete with some of these teams in the Big 12. I think they're in a much better place than UCF is right now. I think I think Cincinnati's a borderline NCAA tournament team. I'm not sure about UCF. I think Johnny Dawkins still probably needs another year to, to really kind of get his horses together and uh, you know put them in a position where they can be competitive. Because the thing about these four new schools is this: they've played in conferences where you get kind of a break. You know, you get an opponent or two you know isn't very good. You know you're going to roll them, and you can. You know, kind of play with your rotation a little bit, get your guys off the floor, your starters, and get some of your bench guys some playing time. That's not going to be the case in the Big 12. It's going to be an 18-game week, 18 grind for all four of these teams. That's going to be the big part once you get into February, who's been able to handle the grind the best. I think Houston can handle it the best because of their guard play. They really fit well into the conference. The thing I worry about with UCF is their depth. I don't think they can go maybe more than eight deep uh, on their roster right now. BYU fits because they've got a lot of maturity. Cincinnati fits because I think they have a lot of the right pieces around their team to, to fit, you know, to, to handle the height at Kansas and other schools and to handle the perimeter depth of schools like, uh, like Houston and Baylor.
0: That's, um, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. What about just not having the double round robin this year? I mean, we all got used to it, kind of like the round robin in football. How much will that play a factor, if at all, in the standings when we suddenly look at strength of schedule being an issue, which it really wasn't in the old Big 12 when everyone played everyone twice in basketball, Matthew?
1: Yeah, that's going to be really interesting. I I, I have a hard time projecting it, but I've been thinking about it. And when the first net ratings came out, uh, you saw a couple of teams that have been in the Big 12 for a long time, well below uh, that top 100 mark. Oklahoma State was there. West Virginia was way down in the 200s. The thing is, I'll be interested to see how their nets get impacted once they get into Big 12 play because, uh, you know, usually every Big 12 game is usually a Quad 1 game, maybe a Quad 2 game, just kind of depending on where they where they're playing that game. You know, right now Oklahoma State and West Virginia would be Quad 3 and Quad 4 conference games for some of these other other schools. Will that drag down their net rating, or conversely, can Oklahoma State and West Virginia Boost their net rating with a win, say over you know a uh, uh, Texas on the road, that kind of thing. But you know, more to the point, you know, some teams are going to play each other twice. Some are only going to play each other once. Um, it could lead to some some bigger spacing between the top and the bottom of the conference. It's really hard to say. Uh, some teams are going to get lucky and only have to play Kansas once. Some teams are going to have to play Kansas twice. How much does that hurt their net rating? How much does that hurt their NCAA tournament chances? It really will kind of, I think, depend upon you know how you do against those teams. You only play once.
0: Hmm. All right. So we're looking at this from the standpoint of uh, conference play starting here at the end of the month or early January, depending on which team. And, uh, you know, there's a couple of big games left. We got Mizzou, KU coming up this weekend. So that'll be a fun one uh, to keep an eye on. And that's a good one on Saturday as well. Um, Xavier, Cincinnati always has potential just because of that rivalry. Yep. BYU-Utah. What about you? I mean, what are you looking at over the next two weeks before we get set for conference play that will help you figure out what we've got in this league?
1: Well, I think those three games certainly help. I think Baylor has a big game coming up. I don't recall who they're playing, but I know they've got another neutral site game uh, against the top 25, I think, coming up in New York next week. This weekend, TCU is actually in Canada. Uh, playing in a classic. and They're playing Clemson, a, a kind of a surprise top 25 team. I think that's a real good barometer game for them, because up until this point, TCU really hasn't played anybody. If there's one team to watch during the next two, three weeks, it's TCU, because they really haven't played much of anybody to this point, except for Georgetown. But they're going to play Clemson in that neutral site uh, game this weekend. I think they've got Arizona State coming up in Fort Worth next week, and then they go to the Diamond Head over Christmas, and they get a couple of big-time games there. So we're going to learn a lot about TCU, a team we really haven't talked about to this point, and has the talent to be a, a player in this conference, but they're going to get a lot of tests coming up the next two, three weeks. If there's any one team I'm, I'm wondering and watching uh, over the next couple of weeks, it's them.
0: All right. Well, we'll be watching along with you. And uh, Matthew Postens, you're going to be hearing more from him in the weeks ahead, especially as we ramp it up to conference play uh, coming up next month. Matthew, we always appreciate the time, my friend. Thanks for being here.
1: Hey, no problem,
0: Pete. All right, that's Matthew Poston's on Heartland College Sports. I'm Pete Mundo. Hit that five-star on the podcast before you head out. And uh, if you're a basketball or a football fan, which you are because you're listening right now, join us on our free Heartland College Sports Members Forums. Just click on that Members Forums tab and join the conversation. I'm on there, Matthew's on there, and uh, you got a lot of great Big 12 fans conversing on there. Have a great rest of the day. We'll talk to you soon. Take care.